Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits, now with more lawnmowers and thunderstorms than ever before. I'm Slade Robertson. For 12 years, I've been a professional intuitive and personal development blogger. I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Saturday, July 14th, 2018, as I record this introduction. This week, I have another interview with my friend Scott Vaughn. Scott's sharing a supernatural event from his family history. It's the story of his great-great-grandfather Parks, a preacher who floated to the ceiling of his church and stayed there. That's coming up in just a few minutes. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind. I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra channeled message. Again, I'm going to keep the personal news short for this episode so you can spend more time listening to a longer interview, but no joke. I've mentioned before that if you listen really carefully, you will often hear the sound of lawnmowers in the background. Scott and I both live in East Tennessee, but we're at least 200 miles apart, which is about three and a half hours by car. Nevertheless, we both had torrential rainstorms on both ends during this recording. The sound in the rain on Scott's end and the power going out at one point all lends itself nicely to his somewhat spooky story. But I was joking with him that I should just make the future theme music for this show, Lawnmowers and Thunderstorms, and be done with it. This week, I did want to share a meme that was floating around on Facebook that I really like. It's about replacing sorry with thank you. Listener Amy Wing and I just had a little messenger chat back and forth about how our being self-aware of our faults tends to make us apologize for ourselves a lot. So the example in this meme was instead of saying, sorry, I'm late, you say, thank you for waiting on me. Or instead of saying, sorry for taking up so much of your time, say, thank you for being so generous with your time. I really like this. It's one of those simple reframing techniques that really shifts the energy of our words. And like Ian Allen and I talked about last week, words are spells. They have magic power and we can wield that power more thoughtfully through carefully crafting our word choice. So I wanted to share that little tool. If you have other good examples of what you can do with that, go and leave a comment on my original post. And if you don't already follow me on Facebook, I rarely turn down a Facebook friend invitation unless it is just obviously a Russian hooker bot. You know what I'm saying? So please send me a Facebook request if you'd like to. Before I forget, I want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters, Allison Kirkpatrick and Jeffrey Daschle. I appreciate all of you who've pledged your support, and I'm really excited to see the new names each week. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and want it to continue. That's very encouraging to me, so thank you. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, and there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. The bonus episodes are available 
available to everyone who pledges three bucks or more. I just uploaded a new episode on psychic cord cutting, and by request, I've also created a few more mid-range levels of support, so go check those out. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access all the extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shiftyourspirits. Let's get on with the interview. Scott Vaughn is an intuitive healer who specializes in helping others see through old belief systems that no longer serve them and empowering them to take charge of their own lives through recognition of their spiritual gifts. I've invited Scott to come tell us a really fascinating story from his family history. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm Scott Vaughn. You got that part right. I know that. But I'm a professional intuitive in Johnson City, Tennessee. Do a lot of work, uh, do a lot of readings. When I first began my work, I was doing a lot of healing work. I'm sort of a, uh, was a Reiki practitioner who sort of woke up one day. Not that all Reiki practitioners need to wake up. That isn't what I'm trying to imply. But, um, you know, I was going along about my my merry life. And, um, the stuff's always been in the background for me. I was always probably a little bit more clear cognizant. I would say if I was putting a term on it, than than I could have recognized at the time, I always seemed to know some things that I was not supposed to know. And it seemed to make people more uncomfortable now that I think about it, than I was able to, to access at the time. But somewhere around 2012, I think it's the summer that I actually met you on the street side in Chattanooga, um, I ended up having a health issue. And turns out I had had some, some elevated liver enzymes. And um, I went to the doctor about that. This is a theme. I've had elevated liver enzymes for a long time. So I went to the doctor and she said, you know, we're going to send you and get you a, an ultrasound of this um, liver. So they did an ultrasound of my liver. And she said, we didn't find anything. I'm going to send you to a gastroenterologist. And of course, I was a really great hypochondriac in those days. So that just absolutely fed those, those wonderful impulses and urges that I had going on at the time. So she sent me to a gastroenterologist and he said, we're going to do a CAT scan of your liver. So this was around, I think, maybe Memorial Day of 2012. You know, that's, that's six years ago now, hard to believe. But they call me back, the nurse. She says, hello, we have found something on your liver. And um, we're definitely going to need to take a look at it. We're going to have to schedule you for an MRI. And as you know, medical tests always, you don't get them the next day. It was like five weeks out. So, of course, I was scared shitless. And... What I had to do at that point, I was working a fairly rigorous spiritual program, and I had to really put myself back into that because I had not really thrown that out. I just wasn't as rigorous in my practice as I had, had wanted to be. And as I began to do that, I don't know what happened. I began to wake up and went to the local metaphysical shop, which was not really a place that I hung out, to be honest with you, at that point, and had a chakra alignment. I don't exactly know what, what happened there, but I began to... He put some stuff... This is how I would have described it then. He put these rocks on me, and uh, he left the room, and then I started seeing all these dead people. 
So that that's how I talked about it then. So that's how I'll talk about it now. I started hearing. I mostly hear things rather than see things, although, although I do see things in my mind's eye as well. But my mind's ear is, I think, more developed. And I began to hear these conversations for pe- with people who had passed and favorite aunts were coming by. My grandfather was coming by. My father was had not passed yet, but he came by later. We'll talk. We can talk about that later. And after that, just began to have start having what I call some just sort of mind-blowing awarenesses um, began realizing that I needed to follow a slightly different path for my life. And I'd been working and did until fairly recently in higher education, in academic advising and higher education administration. I was at the point in my life where I was really ready to go very heavy into that conference-going world and writing articles and all of that stuff that people do in the academic world. And it sort of just really called all that into question for me. And I I knew this is not what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do something else. So took a few classes here and there. I enrolled in a, in a ministerial program that was being offered out of our local metaphysical shop. It's named Atlantis here in Johnson city. And the teacher, my teacher, who was offering it just, I happened to be in there one day, probably buying a stone because I was getting a, an interest in crystals and things like that. And she said, Hey, I'm teaching this class. I don't know if you might be interested in it. And for some reason, which was very, would it was seemingly very out of character for me. I said, yeah, I'm interested in doing this. It was a, a the Alliance of divine love. It's a metaphysical ordinational ordinational is not a word, but it's a metaphysical, sect. It's not really a sect either, but it's a metaphysical type of ordination. Um, went through a years long course and, and that was a really good experience for me. And what I, the only reason that I really want to mention that is if you had, if she had come to me a year before, maybe two years before one, I would never have encountered her. That's, that's one thing. But two, I would have just been like, no, hell no. (laughs) I'm like, you're crazy. (laughs) I don't want anything to do with any of, I'm like, no, No, it wasn't that I had anything against it from a religious standpoint. It's just that I thought, I thought people who are like, who who I've, people who are like who I've turned out to be were absolutely crazy. (laughs) So it's a great, um, funny the way things shift over time for you. And so went through that and it became very apparent that I needed to, it was just time for me to start working with people. And I, I kept hearing this this strong message, you need to work with others. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't, I'm like, what? I had taken a Reiki class several years before and that was a lot of fun, did it and worked on, you know, um, put my hands on some people, did it for myself, thought it was a really neat experience. And that summer I also felt the need to take that second level of, of, of Reiki And so I opened up the following year, just started seeing folks in my house, in my, in my living room. As a matter of fact, I put up a massage table in my living room and started, started working with folks. And one of my very first clients was a guy named Dennis. If you're listening, Dennis, Hey, um, turned out to be a very dear friend over time, performed his, his wedding last summer to his partner. Um, I was working with, 
with Dennis and I was doing all the stuff. And, and in those days, it was a very formal, you know, preparing the space and making sure everything was very quiet and very sacred and taking it just the utmost seriousness. And I had these agate wind chimes that are they're really pretty, but when the, the air conditioning would, would blow, it would sound clink, clink, clink. It was just, it was annoying. <laughs> um, I, I resist the word saying cacophonous because that's really pretentious, but there I had to, I had to say it and, and call it, call it out as being pretentious, but it was cacophonous. It was annoying. Uh, and I remember saying, just looking up and saying, can't you do something about these horrible wind chimes? I can't focus on Dennis. And I got a very, very clear message back and I still laugh about it. It says, you don't need to worry about the wind chimes because you're not doing any of this anyway. Oh, and I was like, shit. But that was a very strong message for me very early in, in, in beginning to do my work. And then, and just logically followed, I knew that I was also, also supposed to do readings as well. And I didn't know how that would work. But I knew that that was coming for me. And I remember one of the very first psychic fairs that I participated in. I didn't know what to call myself. So I... I, I was more in, in, in the room with, with the healer folks, but toward the end I was like, you know, this is, I'm really here to do readings. And I ended up doing a couple of readings for folks and, and it seemed to, I don't remember them very well, which I usually consider that a pretty good sign that, that something decent happened if I'm staying out of the equation and not screwing that up with my conscious mind. And it, everything sort of logically followed. I felt like I needed to probably stop seeing people outside of my office or outside of my house because I lived in a condo and it was just when I had to keep it clean all the time and I didn't like to do that. So decided it was probably a good idea to open up an office that was right over the hill from where I was living at the time and began to do readings. Mostly I used to be doing healing type work and it wasn't exactly Reiki that I ultimately began to do that I am doing now. I don't exactly know what I would call a methodology that I have, but it's, it's not a lot of hands-on. It's a lot of chanting. It's a lot of, um, upping frequency and just sending energy back and forth for folks. It's a lot of spirit guides. It's a lot of calling in medicine people from other cultures and, and allowing them to, to hold the space, to, to hold the space and allowing that work to continue, but began doing readings. And primarily my work now consists of mostly of doing readings instead of doing, doing healing work. That's, that's sort of not the focus as much now. It is, it's just turned out more that I'm doing, that I'm doing readings. And I was told very early on that the people that I would end up working with were probably going to be people who were people who were not necessarily always sold on the, the new age path and the whole metaphysical thing. Okay. That the person I was going to be working with, you know, you know, anyone who seeks me out, I feel like that's, I work with whoever I'm supposed to work with, but the majority of the people who come my way are folks who are disappointed in, in the organized, in organized religion and, and in the church and things like that. But they haven't been able to find a way to replace that with anything that's meaningful. These are folks who are, um, sad sometimes and disillusioned about the way they've seen spiritual matters handled. And 
folks who really want to, they know there's something more, but they may have been taught all their lives that it was not okay to seek those things because that was not allowed. And there's a strong threat of that, especially here in this culture in East Tennessee. And so that tends to be a lot of the people who, who come my way. Um, one of the things that I feel very strongly that I'm supposed to do is sort of the hermit card in the tarot is one that I sort of embody, just sort of holding the light up for folks, mm. you know, just standing there along the path. You know, the nice thing about that card is you don't know what's in front of him. You don't know what's behind him, but there he is holding the light. And that's sort of what I've been feeling lately that I'm supposed to embody mm. is hold, hold, holding the light up for people and interpreting the things that are given to me to offer to them as insights for them along their path. You're a so. lantern bearer, Scott. A, a lantern bearer. That's cute. I love that. Yeah, I, think I actually have an episode about the, the hermit tarot and how I renamed it the lantern bearer because, yeah. I may, you know what, I may, I may have stolen that. That may be where I've heard that. I, I may, I may, I may be stealing from you and I don't, and I didn't I realize stole I it from someone. It. I stole it from someone else. Someone else. Okay. Oh, there was, there was a, I don't know if there's one of those decks floating around out there where the hermit card is actually called a lantern bearer or some, okay. someone somewhere has used that term. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. It's, it's, I'm sure Hay House has put it out. Somewhere, right. you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Copyright, whoever said it. Um, but yeah. I do have a, I do have an episode about it and the episode's mine. Um, but, uh, I, I want to talk to the audience for just a second and let them know that, um, for, for those of you listening to this conversation, Scott is a friend of mine, and he's an honorary member of the Automatic Intuition community because he was sort of teaching himself while being friends with me, but yet I still needed him to be a part of that group. Um, and I've wanted to interview him since day one of this podcast, but here's the thing with interviewing your friends. Um, we could talk about for hours about anything and it, it may or may not necessarily be fun or interesting <laughs> to anyone listening. Um, so far I think you're doing pr pretty good, but, um, so the challenge was to find the right focus topic and with so many of the guests on the show being intuitives and healers and peers, um, yeah. Scott and I were kind of brainstorm texting back and forth about this for months. Like, what should we do an article? Uh, what should we, should we do an episode about? And then I see this post on Scott's Facebook wall titled concerning the time my great, great grandfather floated to the ceiling of the church dot, 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 and lingered. And I read this story and I lost my mind over it. And I told Scott, this is what I want to talk to you about. So nobody else has this story. <clears throat> and this was months ago. <clears throat> and um, go ahead and say something while I clear my throat. Yeah, yeah, great. One of the things about, about the story is that I, a lot of times I'll go, I'll do, re, I'll rerun myself on Facebook. You know, nobody really knows as much about doing that as the person who's doing it. People think, oh, this is great. You just put it together. No, this is a rerun from last year. You liked it then too. Uh -huh. But, um, I think the first time I put that out there was maybe 2009. I was in a much different head. I was in a much different heart space than I am now. Okay. So there was a lot of the original version of that. If, if, if it's still out there, I don't think I, I went back and edited it really conveys a lot of the skepticism I had at the time with it. Mm. And then the latest version comes from a more of what I would say is a more heart centered place of really knowing just 
just from a much more knowing place and a much more loving place and a much more, I'm very open to, I'm very open to the possibilities of everything that could have happened when, when, when he floated to the ceiling of the church and lingered. <laughs> okay. So, um, let's just, you, you've got to tell us this story. Your great, great grandfather okay. floated to the yeah. ceiling of the church. Yes. I'm just going to let you tell us like, yeah. like I've never heard it before. Tell it to me. Okay. Like you've never heard it before. Okay. And it'll be because a lot of times I'm, and when I'm talking about the story, I'm talking, I'm, talking about the story itself which is which is you know not it which is different than telling the story it's the story about the story but the it goes that my great-great-grandfather had started out i think as as a in in the hills of tennessee um and then in southern kentucky southeastern kentucky a town called jellicoe tennessee you know that's about two hours above maybe about an hour and a half hour above knoxville if you take interstate 70 a very remote mountain area it's um if you were writing a book about appalachia and you really wanted to write if you really wanted to find something that seemed almost cliche it was so realistic you would you you could you could find that and so in the backwoods probably a baptist minister okay and my understanding at the time is is that he was a very straight up and down baptist minister very um read the scripture talk a lot kind of guy and, and, um, had a pretty good, was making a pretty good living as a, as a, as a preacher back in the woods. And around the early 20th century, you know, this wave of Pentecostalism started sweeping through the country. Okay. Probably hitting about in, in the mountains. My electricity just went out as we're talking about this. Hello, great grandpa, great, great grandpa parks. Um, so Electricity's back. So this wave of Pentecostalism starts sweeping through the country, probably hits the area in the early 20th century in Angelico. And so he began to preach. I don't know if how familiar you are with some parts of the Bible over in, in the book of, I think, Corinthians. It talks about the spiritual gifts of healing, of prophecy, of tongues, of um, people being able to interpret speaking in other tongues and, um, being people able, people being able to put their hands on other people and they'd be healed from things. He began to preach those things. And a lot of people followed him as he started a new, a new congregation. He's, he took his congregation with him and they moved and started something else. And the people who went with him were all into it, but a lot of people in the community, it was heresy to them. So the story goes that three men, allegedly from the Baptist church, okay, came in to break up the service and they had guns and they appeared in the very back. My great grandfather, great, great grandfather, I'm going to start calling him Grandpa Parks or Grandpa. Grandpa Parks was up there preaching and he saw the men and he said, if you step, come one step closer, I pray the devil smite you. And they walked closer. And of course, people in the church are starting to to really panic and get nervous. And my great great grandmother, Grandma Parks, is sitting there. Think she starts to pray. And at that moment, the Spirit of God picks him up from the pulpit, and he rises to the ceiling of the church. And of course, Grandma Parks is there, and she's like, 
oh God, he's about to be trans translated was the word I heard. <laughs> he's about he's about to be translated just like Enoch. He's about to be translated just like Enoch. She thought he's gonna people were like, he's gonna go through the ceiling. He's gonna go through the ceiling. And of course, you know, he's just as surprised as anyone, right? So the look on his face is uh really you know, the, he's described as looking like he was scared because not because of the men in the back at this point, because he really just didn't know what was happening and um, moved him through the, the congregation, through the, you know, the, the middle of the congregation. There was, you know, the rows on either side, right through the middle of the church and put him down right in front of the three men with the guns. And thus, after that, he was left alone. Now the story also goes that the three men, one of them shortly after went blind. One of them, uh, one of them dropped his gun, took his place in, in, in the church service and shut up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he joined up. Okay. And the other one, uh, sometime later, you know, who knows, right. History tends to conflate times. He killed himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, sort of like the three men on the cross, maybe, or you know, the, the Holy Trinity there. I, I don't know, but there, there were three of them. And outside of that, this entire denomination in the mountains, of, they call themselves the Church of God of the Mountain Assembly. Okay, they're still there. Mm. Okay, there is still, you can look them up on, on Google, the Church of God of the Mountain Assembly headquartered in Jellico. And that's one of the things that they talk about in some of their literature was the time when Brother Parks was lifted to the ceiling of the church. And that was a sign that they were, that they were doing the right thing. They were on the right track and that, um, their message had weight and, and that began to grow and spread. You know, there, there are quite a few, interestingly enough, you know, Jellicoe's in the coal mining area. And as the, as the mines dried up, people went North. So a lot of my family as well, went to Michigan. I have a, quite a few, quite a bit of family in Michigan or had been in Michigan at the time. So there's quite a bit of that church now in Michigan as well, hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. And so the amazing part of that story for me and that whole thing is it's, it's sort of like a litmus test to my own spiritual development for me. When I look back, um, I was told the story as a kid, always fascinated by family stories. You know, this is not the focus of what we're talking about, but I have equally interesting stories from and nobody levitated, but people getting sticking knives up their nose and dying from my, uh, the other side of my family. We'll talk about <laughs> that later. Yeah. <laughs> That's my uncle Hugh Ballard on my dad's side who stuck the knife up his nose and died. But I was always fascinated. Somehow I became, I sort of became like R2-D2 for my family. Yeah. They, they, implant, they implanted the stories within me as a small child. And I tended to uh, speak to me in the wrong way. And I just start projecting holographs of stories that make people uncomfortable, I suppose. I don't know. But <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of that person in my family as well. Like I, I was believe the, that. You're I was, a storyteller. Well, so, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think that. Um, it's weird too because I had aunts that would do genealogical research and stuff like that, and they would always give this stuff to me. Like they didn't Same give here. it to their own kids. For some reason, people identified that I was the one to give it to. Like they felt like it would get told somehow, or it would be yeah. um, preserved, or or just cared about in a way by me that other people wouldn't. And it's true. I do, you know, kind of 
care about all that stuff more. But I, I, I do wonder, like, what would possess you to think this, like, little seven-year-old boy wants to, you know, know about all this stuff? I, I've often wondered that, but it came to me from my mom's side of the family and my dad's side of the family. I've ended up with all of the family pictures, you know, I've ended up with all of those things, but, but my ancestors, you know, and, you know, ancestors using that term broadly, but the, the, my family members who have passed my, and my ancestors, I mean, some of them were alive when I was alive, they figured very prominently in, in the work that I do too. So that's, a, that's another matter entirely we can talk about in a minute, but um, well, here's something I want to ask you about because, please do. um, you know, I, and, and I have to say all the months that we tried to think of a reason for you to come on the show and then all the months <laughs> since we decided what the reason was, interestingly, two days ago in real time, I interviewed Ian Allen and who is a friend of yours who also lives in Johnson yeah. city. And yeah. part of our conversation was about how, supernatural, mystical, what we consider new age topics were viewed through the filter of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So you have some crazy, I mean, full-blown witchcraft going on, but it was all in the name of Jesus. You know what I mean? So I'm wondering what your perspective is on that sort of weird mismatch of Christianity and this supernatural stuff, which is not traditionally thought of as everyday Christian. Right. You know, and that's a, I've been thinking that you were going to ask that question and I've, I've, uh, not had an answer for it all week. <laughs> so, cause I've had, I've had that in mind as well. And I think that, you know, I was raised in a very traditional, um, Christian family environment and, and, and those kinds of things, though it was a very conservative religion, very evangelical religion, it wasn't, a, it generally speaking, the belief was that a lot of those things that happened, you know, in the early church, we didn't have access to them in the current church. So hmm. the idea that, that people can be healed, yes, they can, but, but God uses doctors and that's why God created doctors, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. But I've had to look further back into my family to be able to find some of those things. And that's in my, my Pentecostal relatives, Mm. right? And some, some of my mom's family, they still follow that path. And a lot of my family doesn't, but they're always the ones at the family gatherings I'm gravitating toward because they're talking about prayer and things that have happened as the result of prayer. They're talking about warts falling off people. They're talking about somebody who had cancer, who doesn't have cancer now, somebody who was, um, you know, somebody who was, who was a drug addict, one day and and suddenly, uh, had an experience and they've not used drugs in 25 years, you know, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things and all kinds of different ways of having, having miracles. And and I don't really have an answer to your question. I have just a lot of experiences Mm -hmm. and a lot of things I believe that have happened, but I don't, but I don't really know. I don't really know why that is. So thank you for, thank you for asking. It's a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you believe in miracles? Yeah, of course. Now I used to, for many years, um, for many years I was, I considered myself an atheist. Hmm. Okay. And so I didn't believe in anything and it took a lot of work for me to not believe in anything, which tells me I wasn't a very good atheist. Right. So the kind of work that I'm doing now certainly was off the table because it was, it was deeply buried. Um, and I think, 
you know, you've heard the experience that, that there are no atheists, you know, on the front lines of battle, right? Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No atheist in the foxhole. I, I don't know about that. But I do know that some things that happened to me in my life, um, you know, forced me to, to really reconsider that there was some sort of something out there that was bigger than me and that it that wasn't me. Otherwise, I would really be um, dead or worse. So if if you can think of yourself being dead or worse, the worst part means that you're probably not an atheist (laughs) Mm. because you, 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 um, you tend to believe that there is something going on out there that, that doesn't line up with your belief system of being, being an atheist, or at least as I understood it. Um, for many years I abused, I was an alcoholic or I'm, you know, recovering alcoholic now, drug addict, those things. It's been many years since I've been, I've been clean and sober for many years, but was During that the result years. of anything spiritual or was it more of, think, from that atheist time period? It was probably from all that. I was a very bitter guy. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of bitterness against and rebellion against religion and those kinds of things. And, uh, with a family, the family history, I suppose that's always a part of it. Just poured alcohol onto it and pills and, um, just went through a period of my life where I really wasn't there for it. You know, but as I got sober, that's sort of the beginning of my reawakening. You know, I believe we're all born awakened, right? Then I think we, our families, society, etc. I think we just get closed up and closed up, and then we buy into that belief that we're closed up so much, and we just continue to add to it. And alcohol was my way of was adding was my way of adding to it, and not being here for my life you know, but as I began to show up more for my life, I began to see, at least for me, there, there's a lot more than what I'm willing to admit is, is out there and in here, right? There's a lot more and I don't have to be shut off from it. And as I began to realize that I'm not shut off from it, I started being, I started awakening. I mean, it just started, you know, I won't say that I'm awakened. I will say that I'm awakening if that makes any sense. Mm. But I, you know, I've been sort of thinking that some of these things might come up over, over the course of us talking today. And in some ways I think I am, I am baffled that I'm doing this and I'm grateful that I am doing this. But if you had met me 10 years ago and you had told me, if I'd come to you for a session 10 years ago, of course, I wouldn't have come to you for a session 10 years ago because I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have dared to that 10 years ago based on where I was. And you had told me that I was going to be doing this kind of work and, and, and all of that. I would have laughed. I would have thought, boy, he, he is, um, he has confirmed that he is just as crazy. <laughs> I went in here and paid him money, you know, that kind of thing. So yeah, I probably would have told you. Yeah, I know you would have, but I would, and I would have been like, "You're crazy." <laughs> I would be that no, person people always tell me about. I, I hear this all the time. A psychic told me once, and I'm I'm always in a chain of you know I'm never the first one to tell them, um, which is correct, which is probably cool. I'd rather be at the end of that <laughs> line, um, but well, just to take. To, to go back to this miracle for a second with your great-great-grandfather. Absolutely. 
And you know what? If, if if it's okay with you, I'll post a transcript of your Facebook post so everybody can kind of read some of that detail. Um, and because it's different every time you tell it, right? There's a different it perspective. Is. So, which tells me that it was different every time it was told to me. So who who knows exactly? There there've also been members of my family who who worked really hard at debunking the story too. We'll talk about that in a minute if you'd like, but yeah, well, that's, tell that's me, been the did, fun part. Did you ever speak to anyone who actually witnessed this? Okay. The, the first family reunion, and it's interesting that all this is coming up because in two weeks I will be at the site of all this again. Okay. In two weeks, my family is having a reunion in Jellico. Okay. And, um, so because I'm the person who, who knows the stories and knows where all the people are buried. My gra- I'm probably the, the last person alive, at least in this branch of my family, who can take you to the graves of everyone who's come before us. Um, and, at any rate, I don't know where I was going with that, but the very first family reunion, I took my tape player and I, because I was, when I was a kid, my parents, for my fifth birthday, my parents bought me a tape recorder. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I, I was always just recording things and I, and I knew that some of my older family members were going to be there. And I, and I knew that I wanted to get some things on tape. I also knew that my grandmother was, was toward the younger end of the younger end of the, of, of the family. So, and, and, and so my grandmother and even her mother who passed away, who died really young, she probably wasn't there for what happened either. So, but I was there, my grandmother's best friend, Helen Seal, okay, that she grew up with, came down from Michigan to be part of the reunion. One, because she and my grandmother were like sisters, and two, the coal mining camp where everybody was originated there in, in Tennessee and Kentucky. Everybody was very much like family. So Helen came down, and Helen was still part of, she's passed now, but she was part of the Church of God of the Mountain Assembly in Michigan. Okay, so she still attended. She still attended the church, but in but in Michigan, you know, I said a lot of people went to Michigan to work in the automobile factories when the coal mines dried up. Right. So Helen was also just a great storyteller. She had she had long gray hair that she wrapped up in a bun. Okay, and she was just just a spitfire of a woman. And I and I so I I knew I wanted to talk to her about it. And and I wish I could find the tape, you know, it's going to be that mythical tape that's lost, you know, that I can't find now sort of like Nixon's tape that's missing from (laughs) Watergate. Right. Yeah. But, um, she's telling me, she says, and it starts out, she says, I know you want to talk about the time brother Parks was lifted to the ceiling of the church. And many years ago, I asked sister Parks what she thought about it. So she, she goes into the story. Okay. And, uh, she wasn't there, but she was getting it she was telling me her version of sister of my great, great grandmother telling her the story. Okay. Okay. Um, then Helen's husband, Obel, O B E L or something like that. He, I don't know how he knew this because he didn't live there, but he said that there was an old lady living in the community, a granny Mosley or granny Mobley was her name. Granny Mobley. Right. This is, sounds like a Lee Smith novel. It but does. <laughs> really, I mean, it does, doesn't it? Granny Mobley who, who was there at the time. Right. And, and I said, where does she live? And he said, well, I don't know. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't know. You know, I don't I didn't know to just go down to the grocery stores that any of you people know where Granny Mobley live. But I never I never investigated that any further. I was in the middle of college and changing schools and all of that. So I never um, I, I never I never got any any firsthand account. I do know that the church has some official records and there have been two books that they have put out that two little books where they 
tell the story. Also, he kept a journal as well, okay, that one of his other descendants has. I was thinking, how many descendants must he have? He probably, my great great grandparents had like eight children. And so, if you think about probably, there are probably thousands of people now who are descended from them living today. But one of my cousin's distant relatives, probably what I would call a fifth cousin in Michigan, who is the pastor of one of the churches there, oddly enough, has his journal where he wrote some things down. And I've never been able to get a hold of that. I've wanted it. I've sent requests. I've asked for copies of it. I've tried to to communicate with people about it. And that's never been, Mm. no one's ever been able, no one's ever been willing to communicate with me about that, which just adds to the mystery and tells me that one day I will see it. You know how that goes. Um, he used to prophesy as well too, about great birds with people in them flying through the air. Okay. That one day people would be one day. This is Obel seal told me this, that one day he was up preaching. He said, one day there'll be people on the moon, you know, and this was, this was in the thirties. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what we were talking about in the thirties. I don't know about, I mean, I'm sure there, there certainly there were aircraft in the thirties. I don't know um, how many he would have had access to, but there certainly had not been astronauts in the thirties yet. Those well, kinds we of had, things. We had Jules Verne and we had, I don't remember if that, what is it that Hans Fritz or movie Metropolis yeah. or like there, there's some really, really old creepy black and white movie. I think that might portray people traveling on rockets to the moon. Right. Yeah. So may, maybe that's, you know, but I don't, I, who, who knows if he had access to seeing those, mm-hmm. you know, oh, where, yeah. where they were, where Probably they were in the mountains. Not. So, yeah. yeah. So, so, so I don't know. And I wish that I could find that tape. It's, I, I know it was, in the attic where I used to live. And then I've moved since then. And I don't know where that box of tapes went. So you, you know how that kind of thing goes. So it's a great setup for a novel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It is. Someone it's finds thing, the you. box of tapes in the attic. And then, you know, of course in the story, you're both your, you know, 40 year old self and your 95 year old self. So we can switch mm-hmm. back and forth between time periods. Absolutely. I can, yeah. I can see the whole thing right now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very good. Thank you very much. I, that, that's good inspiration for that. Yes, but Reverend Parks also is is part of my work that I do here today too. He's one of what I call my my assistants and my guides. So he's like well. an ancestor guide. He's an ancestor guide, and when I'm working with someone specifically in a healing type session, he very strongly appears. Interesting. Um, a lot of really tuned in people will say who was the bearded man here? Who was not you? <laughs> oh, like that's, 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 that's grandpa pay him no mind. But, um, very much he's, uh, who I call in to help when, you know, need a space cleaned out. He's, he's very helpful with those kinds of things. He's very, very, he's very good with removing what I call reptilian type energies from folks as well. So, um, you know, I have to say, I, it just occurred to me when I was asking that question about, you know, the whole connection with Christianity versus, yeah. you know, this kind of supernatural stuff. One of the things that became really apparent to me, because I always thought of myself as very much sort of against fundamentalism, still do, uh, very, yeah, an, very anti-Christian and all that kind of stuff. But one of the things that I have observed kind of begrudgingly in the beginning <laughs> was that 
the people who are more open to talking about mysticism are by nature people of faith. And so if you go to an older generation of people and you want to talk about supernatural stuff, there's a lot more little old church ladies that want to talk about spirits and healing and, you know, communication from the dead and all that kind of stuff and are a lot more open to it than you know, certainly than an atheist is going to be or an intellectual from our generation is, is going to shut that down much more quickly too. And so I learned very quickly to kind of have this universal translator running in my mind and to realize Ooh. that that was the language they were given to speak with, you know, was right. the language of the Bible and the culture that they grew up in. And so they had, you know, that's what they had to work with. And so, but some of the things that they will tell you and some of the things that they will describe um, are just straight up like, well, this is total paranormal investigation. Yeah. This is straight up like off Sylvia Brown. Yeah, you know? totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So it's made yeah. me a little bit more open-minded in myself. I have had to be more open-minded about the fact that, you know, when you strip away the vocabulary and you strip away whatever theology is comfortable and whatever symbolism is used, in both camps or in any camp, in all the camps, you'll find that there are people who are extremely plugged in and mm -hmm. sensitive and aware and awakening and, and all that kind of stuff. And then you'll find people who are going through the motions and, mm -hmm. you know, and claiming to get it when they don't. And then you have people who are just completely, you know, tuned out. Um, but that idea of who someone is who is plugged in transcends everything else. And so when I recognize another person who's quote unquote plugged in, mm -hmm. I don't care all that other stuff is transparent. You see through it, you know? And so I've had these experiences where I have talked to these little old ladies who used the Jesus vocabulary through the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But meanwhile, they're the most likely to get what it is that I do and to be accepting of it. You know? Yes. Yeah. I had an aunt who was, she always used to like to renounce the spirit of fear. That was one of her big things oh, that I she like liked that. to do, renounce the spirit of fear, you know, and, you know, and here, here, you know, 25 years later, I start, you know, start into the course in miracles, you know, talking about love and fear and all of those things. And I'm like, oh, good grief, Frida, you were onto it all along. <laughs> it reminds me of the Bene Gesserit litany against fear from Dune. What? Do you know? Okay. It? Yeah. No, I don't. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll put it in, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, fear is the mind killer. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's a little it's a little litany that the um, the, the nun like witch organization in that world. Um, it, it's a chant that they do when facing fear. It's um, it's a way Fair of enough. kind of like allowing the fear to pass over and through you. I can't like recite it off the top of my head right now. I'll butcher it, but I'll put it in the show notes for you and for my, your sake if no one else. For um, my ADD sake, I'm trying to sit here and not not get on my phone and, and, and look it up while we're talking. I know. Don't yeah. do that in the so, middle yeah, of an I'm interview. Not, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm definitely <laughs> not doing that. I'm thinking he'd never know this is audio, but you'd know because you're you. <laughs> <laughs> the, lit the litany against fear it's really the good i mean it, yeah it's it's up there with like you know the serendipity prayer and you know um it, it's one of those tools for me it's it's a mantra for sure um so i gotta ask you this please 
given your perspective and where you are and everything. And, um, you know, I see you as someone who is kind of an archivist in a way of all this old knowledge and old wisdom, and you've got pieces of it more so than others might. And so as you think about how you are breaking that all down, um, sort of processing it and then putting it back together and giving it new life and new form, Mm -hmm. what do you most hope to contribute to the conversation about spirituality? You know, is to really... There's so many trappings that that folks put on it, you know, and and and, and just let go. That's that's one thing that I'm always telling folks is just let go and and stop trying to control absolutely everything and don't j- just allow, you know, seek seek the truth for yourself and and allow it to come. You can study whatever you want to study, but you know, be, be open to the sources that the truth might come to you, you know, be, be open to what speaks to you, be open to what doesn't speak to you. Sometimes what doesn't speaks to you speaks to you more than, um, because it doesn't speak to you, if that makes sense. Um, you know, in, in the 12 step circles, people talk about let go and let God, you know, let go and let, let spirit do spirit's work and realizing that a lot of that happens, um, at a very, in a very subtle way and, and, and that it oftentimes doesn't happen very instantly. It's, it's a process. And also that just because we're spiritual and just because we've studied the law of attraction, which is great, you know, that's fine. It's not the only law there is though. Um, just because we've read this and watched the latest YouTube video, or just because we've done this or this or this, it doesn't absolve us from doing the work on ourselves Mm. And from taking, you know, I, I, sometimes I tell the folks that I'm working with, I said, you know, if nothing else, I'm going to be able to hopefully with, you know, with some assistance here, provide you at least some kind of mirror so that you can see yourself honestly and see your path in a way that you've not seen it before, at least as honest as I can convey it to you and as honest as you're able to, to be able to see it, but to look very closely inside for the answers and not externally because the answers for me are not the answers for you. And, um, there's some certainly universal truths, but the path for everybody is slightly different and each person has his or her own expression. And I just feel like I'm babbling Slade. <laughs> <laughs> I love that question. It's meant to be a stumper, but it's also meant to be a prompt. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. To um well, I used to ask people what really bugs the shit out of them in all this crap. And then I realized <laughs> Heather Alache, I think, was the person who was like, I'm gonna reframe that and make it more positive. Yeah. And I was like, Okay, that's a good idea. And so going forward, I've tried to it's- reframe that as a more positive thing. One thing I would say is this is not a cake mix, okay? Mm. You, mm. This is not, you know, you, you, you realize there are certain, you know, you, we don't have as much control over things in our worlds as we do over baking a cake, okay? It's a good analogy, okay? But again, it, it, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't, it, it's not the best analogy, okay? I do believe that, um, 
you know, the, the uh, New Thought community talks about planting seeds and watering seeds and all of that. But the idea is you got to plant the, the appropriate seeds for the thing that you want, right? And, and you have to do of, it. You have to tend it. You have to tend your garden. Remember from Candide, and it goes through all of that in Candide at the end. All of this is well and good. All of this is well and good. I've encountered the woman who uh, had her had her ass eaten for, as a steak or something, but I still have to cultivate my own garden. You know, I still have to cultivate my own garden. And you know, and Pangloss is saying all is well and good in this best of all possible worlds. And Candida saying yes, thank you, but I still have to cultivate my own garden, and that that is me planting the appropriate seeds and, uh, doing, doing the literal work of putting, putting a thing together. I keep seeing things, you know, if you can think it, you can be it. If you can dream it, you can be it on one level. That's, that's certainly true. I mean, and I, you know, and, and I know that there's a lot of hope for a lot of people in that as well, but if, if it were that simple, we wouldn't have any problems. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. if, if it were that simple, you know, I, I hear a lot of talk about um, every, everything's all the law of attraction, this and the law of attraction, that. And that, that is certainly all well and good. And, and, and there's so much truth there. Right. But it's not simply just thinking happy thoughts all the time and everything will be OK. It's about embodying a new way to be and truly not just sprouting affirmations sprouting, not just spouting <laughs> affirmations at yourself, sprouting. I'm using that, that seed metaphor, right? right. Taking it, it all the way it, through uh, there. Uh, yeah. Taking it all the way through. Yeah. Th- <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's, you can't just say, um, I'm at peace with myself and, uh, today's going to be better and, and everything just work out. You, you have to go a little bit deeper than that. You have to, to do what affirmations really do. You have to, you know, the nice thing that I love, because I deal with a lot of affirmations with folks that I work with is to say, use this as an affirmation and you'll know it's working. If after you've done this for a couple of days, you feel worse (laughs) because Mm -hmm. that means it's lodged itself in those deep recesses of the things that you don't want to have to deal with. And, And it's, it's bringing them all to the surface. It's going in there and it's just sort of destroying the energy of the thing you no longer want. And it's just all bubbling up like stomach acid. Right. And in that way, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're on the right track, Interesting. But there's always that thing is I want to feel better and I want to feel better now. And, and, and I'm always like, we can all feel better. Okay. But we still have to do something. You know, we still have to take a look at ourselves. Well, and you don't just do it once either. I think, you know, if I was, if I was answering your question with the way that you're answering it, you know, I would say that, um, the thing that really kicks you in the gut is when you realize that it, you have to get up and redo it every day. You have to start over and over and over again every day. Like you, you don't, I mean, some things might carry you through, you know, longer arcs of time, but really it's not a decision. It's thousands of decisions. It's thousands of times making the same decision over and over again. It's a, it's a whole spiritual practice. It's not just a yeah. set of isolated things. It's a whole spiritual practice, you know, like yoga is a spiritual practice, you know, it's a whole thing. It's not just, um, it's not just going to a class now and then, although I love going to yoga classes, but it's a whole spiritual practice that I have to embody and I have to figure out a new way to be, not just a new way to think, not just a new way to act, but a whole new way to be if I want some results. 
in that way, you know, but certainly I know inside of me, given, given, um, left to my own devices, I'll always usually pick the easy way out. (laughs) Scott, it's so good to capture one or maybe a handful of your stories. And I know that we still have so many others that we could do, but I'm glad that we finally got one in the, in the can. And, um, and I, I really want to appreciate you for coming on and telling, uh, your story. Um, tell everyone where they can go find you online. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, Got some sort of in the entrepreneur phase of my life right now, but scottdouglasvaughn.com is the the website for my spiritual work. Also, I'm a, a photographer. I take it. I take pictures of abandoned buildings and things like that. And all of this grew out of that same summer of summer of 2012 that I was talking about a little bit earlier. But that's scottvaughnphotography.com. But my website, scottdouglasvaughn.com, is a pretty good insight into what I'm doing right now. For the record, I did lose my connection to Scott a few seconds later, so our conversation came to an awkward full stop just there. Thanks again for listening to Shift Your Spirits. Uh, For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever app you use to access podcasts. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message in answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. This is an explosive time full of aggressive triggers. Embrace whatever emotional lessons are coming your way. Clean up any old karmic debts. Set up some new rules and boundaries for yourself. Refocus on the big picture and try to forgive the petty thoughts and judgments in yourself and in others. Be mature and flexible in the face of all this defensive reactivity and bad behavior. And I'll talk to you later.